Hello, funky listeners, and welcome to yet another episode of Funk Radio. Yay. This is your smooth, smooth jazz host, Kyle. And this is your heavy metal host, Peter. <laughs> this is your creamy ball of baby vanilla, Kyle. Please call me that from now on. <laughs> oh boy. How you doing today, Kyle? I'm pretty good. How are you? Also good. It's been so long since we did the last episode. Yeah, it's been about five minutes since we recorded the last one. Yeah. Fun fact for you listeners out there. In that five minutes, I got pretty hungry. <laughs> oh man, for lunch we had uh, Raisin Cane's, which is this chicken place in Costa Mesa. Down oh, here. you were telling me about that. So good. Isn't that... What was the thing of that place? It just... The softest chicken tenders. It only serves chicken. It just serves chicken tenders. It's not even just chicken. It's just chicken (laughs) tenders. It's amazing. Like, their menu is four squares, and the four... And the four squares are little... Are different boxes of chicken tenders, and your only... The only difference is the amount of chicken tenders you get. (laughs) There's, like... There's the main one where you get four. There's a small basket where you get three... Then there's like a big one where you get six, and there's like the Mondo I Have Diabetes Now, where you get like eight, plus two servings of fries, plus like extra, they, and it's, it's weird, as a side they give you like this big hunk of Texas toast, so you oh, get wow. uh, two pieces of Texas toast or something. Wow, that sounds so good. But the, the sauce they give you is like this weird secret sauce, it's basically like Thousand Island dressing, <laughs> kind of orange shit, but... Dipping the toast in there is really yummy. Dang. I want to eat there every day, but I can't because I'm not in Costa Mesa. Well, next time you come down, we'll be sure to... Oh, yeah, totally. Me. I was just thinking, like, that's, like, the most simple but genius business model for a restaurant. Just, do you want chicken or do you want more chicken? Oh, man. Well, I wish we could spend an entire episode on chicken, but we probably shouldn't. Yeah, we'll leave that to Roscoe's. Actually, maybe we could do it for our next one. I forgot. <laughs> it's just we we could do an episode on songs about chicken. I think there was only that one Bill Cosby song about chicken. What about "Do the Funky Chicken" by uh, Rufus Thomas? Oh yeah. Well, hey, maybe we can come up with a list. You never know. <laughs> um, yeah, for you listeners who don't read numbers, this is episode one forty nine of our show, which means the next one is one fifty. Yay! And it's taken us about was it three and a half years or so? We have a couple of different ideas for things we could do for that, but. It's coming up a lot more quickly than I thought it would, so we got to figure something out. But yeah. I guess you'll hear about what we do when we do it. Anyway, so for the for today's discussion, Kyle, uh, I was thinking recently. You know, there's a lot of different types of compilation albums. You know, either it's one artist, you know, their greatest hits, or if it's a combination of many different artists, maybe that fit a certain theme. And so I wanted to kind of have a dis- little dis- mini discussion about like. I guess what role or what value do compilation albums provide alongside standard studio albums? I can dig it. Because, you know, it's a lot of the time it's using existing songs, you know, that already exist on other albums, but then just putting them together in a different, uh, a different order and then just packaging it that way. So, uh, you know, if it's, if you're giving the same content to people in different ways, is, is that valuable? I mean, and, we will be talking about like the different types of compilations, compilation albums that there are. So, you know, I, I guess you could argue yes or no, depending on the type. Yeah. Um, I think 
a lot of compilation albums are created just to end up in, in Walmart $5 bargain bins. And you were showing me a couple days ago, it's not a bin anymore. Isn't it the $5 bargain wall now? Well, to be fair, I was at a different Walmart, so maybe they were trying to save space. Because uh, directly behind the $5 bargain wall, there were still bins, but they only contained uh, DVDs and one contained candy. <laughs> okay. So the CDs have been replaced by candy, apparently. But um, <laughs> there were still a lot of greatest hits of like soul artists like there always are. Mm-hmm. So. I know I've, I've picked up a few from there. Yeah, good, I think I think combined we've spent like probably fifty bucks each. That's that's fair. I think we probably have. Yeah, the bargain bin days. Yeah, yeah, that um, was fun. So, actually, I guess to start us off, um, what is your experience with compilation albums? Like, do you tend to listen to them often? Do you almost never listen to them? The f- okay, here's the funny thing: I never listen to them in digital format. However. I end up seeking out compilation albums on vinyl because they're often cheaper than getting a traditional album. And sometimes Mm. I'll have an artist where I'm like, oh, dude, I love this artist. But their greatest songs are spread out over four or five albums. Like every one album will have like one of their greatest songs. Mm. The rest of the songs are like, eh, whatever. So... Yeah. With artists like that, I'm like, well, I'm not going to go and try to find all five of their albums just to get the, the five songs I like from them. Mm-hmm. So I'll end up finding their greatest hits album on vinyl, and usually in like the dollar section or something. And I'll end up getting that instead because it's cheaper and I can still hear them, hear them on vinyl without having mm-hmm. five different discs to swap through, you know? Yeah, and I think that's... That is like you know I was asking before. Is there value to that? I think I think there is definitely value if you don't want to spend money on you know ten different albums to get those five or ten different songs. Exactly. So the, I guess you wouldn't, I was, I guess you wouldn't be looking for five songs on ten albums, but you know what I mean. Yeah, for greatest <laughs> hits, for at least for the greatest hits version co- version of compilation albums, yeah. I think there's yeah. a there's definitely a time and a place for them. Um, I can't unfortunately think of any specific artists right now where. I did that with, but, um, I was actually thinking about this another, uh, a couple of days ago because I was thinking, you know, how many specific albums can I identify with funk and soul artists, which is, you know, a lot of what I listen to, but mm-hmm. I, you know, there are certain albums I can name or even recommend, but I, I, re- I kind of realized this a couple of days ago, like for the most part, I listen to just, you know, just individual songs by these artists rather than you know this certain album um and obviously there's there's exceptions to that because um and probably like you were saying with the vinyl like i'm sure marvin Gaye's, you know 15 greatest hits or whatever is cheaper than if you're trying to find like uh what's going on you know for as a historical an album that is i'm sure it's not cheap Mm -hmm. um similarly you know so that's like obviously that's an example of in I mentioned this in the last episode. I am, I tend to be pretty album centric in my music listening. Um, but despite that, a lot of these artists that we talk about on the show, uh, I tend to gravitate toward their more popular stuff. Even if, mm-hmm. yes, I do have a knowledge of, you know, some of their less popular things as well. Um, I guess I've noticed, I've, I kind of realized that trend in myself that I, I tend to go for like the compilations, I guess, more. 
for the, yeah. this type of music. Kind of for the reason that you said, it's like, because they're so spread out, you're usually going to find one or two songs that you like on a single album. The rest of them are like, eh, they're okay. Yeah, very, very rarely, even with uh, artists that I like, do I like every song off their album. Um, now, actually, what's going on is one of the is one of the few Motown albums that I do like every single song on that album. Yeah, um, yeah. But say, let me try to think of an example really quickly. I don't know, Shaka Khan. I like some Shaka Khan mm-hmm. songs, but her career is so wide and varied, and went on for so long she had so many albums that i was i would much rather pick up a greatest hits than try and collect every one of her albums because there's mm, yeah i can count on one hand the songs i even know by her yeah i i can't even name an album by her exactly while, while i do like some of her music Sorry, and, and uh, actually i was <laughs> i was listening to i was trying to think of stuff to listen to when i was working the other day um uh, using spotify and um you know, I was like, oh, I'll listen to the OJs. And that was kind of one of those moments where I realized, like, I don't, I might be able to name, like, one or two of their albums, but for the most part, I don't know how their music is divvied up in that sense. Yeah. And so I listened to one of their albums, and I literally recognized, like, one of the songs. And the rest of them were okay. I, they were fine. I just didn't really care for them too much. Um, So I think for uh, definitely artists that have more of a legacy and went on for, you know, as much as a couple decades, I I think it's really tough to stick with each of their individual albums versus just kind of, com- you know, consolidating their greatest hits. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure music purists are probably like hissing right now. Well, that, that's one of the reasons why I try not to do it as much is because, you know, the whole mu- music purity thing of, oh, you're only listening to their most popular stuff versus, you know, they have really good songs that, you know, weren't popular. And I absolutely understand that and there is a lot of these artists like i said i don't listen to their albums per se but i do i am familiar with a larger catalog of their music than probably the average person would mm-hmm. and in you know, a lot of i mean like oj's is a good example i mean i could probably think of a few songs by them that weren't you know chart toppers or anything but they're still songs that were more under the radar but they're songs that i really like exactly we kind of delved into the greatest hits version of compilation albums but there's a whole other segment of compilation albums that are even probably mm-hmm. lesser known that i would say are are ones that have multiple artists on one album um, yeah and i think that's partly where stuff like the bargain bin start to come into play mm-hmm. where you know a record label like let's just use motown as an example like they're like okay we had a lot of really popular artists in the 60s people tend to group them together mentally anyway let's just grab you know 10 of the most popular songs from that era stick them on one album we don't have to do anything you know you just basically are pressing existing stuff in a different order on cds and just shipping them out and you're making money out of it those these are the ones that always remind me of those 90s infomercial cds you know, where they show the scrolling yeah. song list. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like those and were I was trying to think of, albums. Yeah, I was trying to think of like the different types of multi-artist collections. I called them uh, in the list. In the list, and you'll see that we have ones like decade, like '80s favorites. Like that could be something you would see on an infomercial. Mm-hmm. Like all the songs you remember from the 1980s, and it's you know like a 12 disc set. All the songs you did cocaine to. 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's what I always. That's what I never understood about those those infomercials. But it was it was never just one CD. It was always like you get fifteen discs. It's like who the fuck needs all those? Yeah. <laughs> For only five easy no, payments of nineteen ninety five. Exactly, and it's. <laughs> I can see maybe nowadays that might you actually make more sense than it might have had back then, because you don't have to worry necessarily because like people. I think CDs are definitely on their way out. Yeah. And so if you if you bought 15 CDs worth of 80s hits, you know, that went into your iTunes library, into a, just a big list or a big playlist or something, then that makes more sense than dicking around with 15 different CDs, you know, and losing half of them and <laughs> exactly. ending up listening to some, you know, 20 times over another. It's never. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um Another so that that's like so like you have like decade compilations. Um, another one I thought of was like fitting a certain theme, like songs for the bedroom. I feel like there were infomercials for this too. Yeah, exactly. It's always it, yeah, like you said. Like I wouldn't necessarily always say genre specific, but like subject matter specific. Yeah, thematic sense. Yeah, thank you. Like songs about Jesus. Yeah, that's true. I'm sh- there's plenty of those out there. I'm sure. So yeah, I mean, like you could, you could fit a decade, you could fit a, like a theme like that. Um, I don't know if you can think of any beyond that. The other, the third like category, I guess I thought of for that was film soundtracks. Yeah, and we touched we touched on this a couple of episodes ago about how certain film soundtracks will basically be a compilation of songs by multiple artists. And we were yeah. talking about like sometimes it's in the trailer, sometimes it's not. I actually, those are one of the other, I guess compilation albums that I sometimes lean towards with vinyl. I have quite a few film vinyl soundtracks that are quite often just, you know, songs used in the film, not necessarily the film score, just Mm -hmm. songs that appeared in the film that I associate with said film. I think I have, like, the Blues Brothers soundtrack. I have the soundtrack Mm -hmm. to at least one or two Quentin Tarantino movies. Uh, I have... Nice. And then I have a couple that are scores. I have Star Wars, Space Odyssey, all that stuff. Right, and that and that, that kind of uh, denotes the two. Di- there's basically, you know, listeners. There's two different types of film soundtracks. There's either like pop music ones, where it's a mix of existing pop songs, mm-hmm. um, and then there's like original scores, where like the music was actually written and orchestrated for that movie. And we're talking about the former, I guess. Yeah, yeah. The the yeah the latter is doesn't really count because it's like all original music. Although, I suppose you could theoretically have a compilation of like original film scores. Yeah, I've um, never like seen that. here's the theme from Star Wars. Here's the theme from Indiana Jones. Like I'm I, I'm sure there's got to be compilations the, in that sense. The too. only time I've ever seen that. The only time I've ever seen that is not in musical format but is like in like a music book like if you're if you want to learn all these mm. movie themes and play it on the oboe or some shit it's always like here's a sheet, here's the sheet music <laughs> you know with both multi-artist collections specifically can you think of any other categories of compilations you can think of um, uh, i guess i guess we we kind of touched on like because um, I, I used motown as an example earlier maybe like with a certain record label yeah, very often I see ones from certain record labels, and that but that kind of makes sense because uh, especially back in the day, each record label kind of had their own signature sound. 
that you know yeah that's true. putting all the artists from that label on, on, on an album isn't too off base because it advertises the label now it's like yeah. oh here's a bunch of artists from sony records it's like who gives a shit just <laughs> they, which they is like a third the of the music out there exactly exactly yeah that's a good point um i was also okay so i guess moving out of the multi-artist back into like a collection from a single artist. You know, we talked about like the greatest hits. Mm. I was also thinking about box sets as well. Yeah. I actually wanted to mention about that. Um, this is a little bit off from funk radio, but it, it, it does fit in. Mm. Um, back in high school or something, there was a box set released uh, for uh, the band Nirvana. Now I guess this is kind of a combination of box set slash greatest hits, but mm-hmm. The interesting thing about this box set, it was three CDs, and it wasn't just their greatest hits. It was, like, what they called forgotten recordings or B-sides of, I guess, sessions that they had done, recording sessions that they had done, some stuff that they had not yet released. So, in that instance, I mean, it's not necessarily a greatest hits, it's like an unknown, you know, B-sides and b-sides and forgotten mm. recordings so i guess in a way that could be actually even another example of compilation albums yeah. but i i really liked that that box set it was really well presented with this nice metal case a lot of really good music set up it came with like this booklet that you know talked about all the songs talked about the band a lot of fun stuff now i'm probably way off base at this point now what did you mean i guess when you were referencing box sets because I just was like, well, it's a box. Uh, and it was a set. So. Well, basic, basically everything you described is what I was kind of getting into. Oh, um, okay. Yay. I think you touched on a lot of interesting points there. Um, one being that it's not... Well, I was thinking, like, I think box sets kind of have a few different versions in themselves. Because I think you have one that's like greatest hits on steroids, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Where it's not just one CD of greatest hits. It's maybe multiple. Maybe it's, you know all of their number ones or something. I know that's definitely a thing, mm-hmm. but you know, there could also be a box set for, like you said, maybe the more obscure stuff or previously unre- unreleased recordings, um, mm-hmm. studio sessions. I know there's also box sets where they will just include literally every song that the artist has ever recorded. There's a rather than of- just like the best of it. Surprisingly, there's a couple of those I have uh, on vinyl. I have a Temptations album that is, it's called the Temptations Compilation, which sounds kind of funny to say. It's uh, like six full vinyl discs that have pretty much every song that they recorded. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, at that point, that's funny. I was just thinking this, like, at that point, I know, I guess it is still a compilation, even though it's just literally combining everything they've ever done. Yeah, it's like like an anthology. Anthology, that's exactly the word I was thinking of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Something else you were talking about with the box sets is the presentation of them. Mm -hmm. I think it tends to be a differentiator between other forms of compilations as well, Um, because usually you get some kind of unique packaging with it. Um, it, Often it will actually come in a literal box, hence the name box set. Mm -hmm. Um, But usually it'll, it'll be themed in a certain way, or, you know, it's... As I wrote it in our notes, nifty packaging and bonus shits. <laughs> I love bonus shits. <laughs> um, like you said, some often they'll come with like a bound book of, you know, maybe the history of the band or more or, info on those recordings specifically. Or like a fold-out poster. Fold-out poster, photos. Um, 
Liner sometimes notes. it'll have other uh yeah exactly it'll have other uh i can't think of any real examples though but i know sometimes they include under like little uh, and there's and that's actually trinkets and stuff and that's actually a good a good thing to touch on is this particular form of compilation can only truly be appreciated in physical form like it would be it would be stupid to get a box mm, set yeah. in, like that in digital form it's like oh yeah i have all the songs <laughs> Like, yeah. that's one I mean, of the few were, ways that physical yeah. media can still be relevant, you know? Exactly. And it's it becomes less of, I have all the songs now, and more of, like, an experience of something that you can put on your shelf. Or exactly. something that you can experience, like, tangibly. Or, like, bust out and show your friends or whatever. Yeah, and that, I think that's something that definitely, generally with music, you rarely get at all. Is yeah. kind of that, the more tangible experience. Yeah, so. which I think is why records are kind of making a bit of a resurgence is that you get that tangibility mm-hmm. again because pretty much any record you get comes with a... It's not necessarily always a booklet, but it's the inner sleeve of the record often has like the liner notes of the songs. Mm-hmm. It'll have pictures of the band. It's just a, it's a bit more of an experience to like pop open a record than it is to just click play on your computer. That's <laughs> funny. Yeah. Um. Actually, I reminded... I just thought of something. Um, one box, I think they came out with it maybe a year or two ago. There's a box set for like, I don't remember if, it, I think it might have been like all the number one hits that came out of Motown Records. Ooh. Because, you know, there were probably a couple hundred of them. Oh, yeah. But the box was shaped, it was like, it was a ton of CDs, but I think it was shaped like, um, fuck, what is the building they called? Uh, Hitsville, USA, I think was the name of like the building in uh. Detroit. It's like this house is white with oh, blue on it or something. And it's yeah, 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 yeah. And the and it was and the I know what you're talking about. And it, it's shaped like that house, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it's kind of like the house where like all this, <laughs> this great music came out of. This really sad reason that I know that is because that greatest hits album is listed on Spotify, and on Spotify they show uh, the, the shape of the album box set as cover art so it's just a picture and, of it. yeah and it pops up a lot whenever i'm looking for motown stuff uh, to add to my playlist and i remember seeing that over and over funny. i'm like why is that always there and so that's what reminded me of it that's terrible i only know the box well, because know. It's, it's digital impression yeah that's really funny so actually that is an example where it does exist in both forms yeah where yeah. it is the box set the physical box but then also just the entire list on Spotify. Well, now I know what to get you for Christmas, Peter. Well, I can just open up iTunes and play them. No. It's all <laughs> about the physical media. Um, so I guess, you know, we have talked a bit about our, our personal encounters with compilation albums and the different forms that they take. Um, I also wanted to touch on, you know, when you really get down to it, what is their purpose from, like, the record label's perspective? More sales more so, yeah I, I and we've, this is something we've already kind of touched on a bit is you know it's kind of it's pretty much easy money for them maybe box sets might be the 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 exception because they have to produce yeah these extra things but you know if you think about just a greatest hit cd or some collection really all they're doing is just taking stuff that already exists they don't have to record no production costs or anything they don't have to pay artists to come into the studio they're just taking stuff that exists packaging it differently throwing it on a cd and then you know getting more money off of that so it's really easy money for them once you kind of built have built mm-hmm. up a catalog 
And to be honest, I think that's why a lot of those those types end up in the bargain bins is because they're so cheap to produce that they could probably make a profit even if they're in the bargain bin. Oh, I'm I'm absolutely positive they make a profit because the cost the cost of the cost of production is already long since done. The artists already made the songs. It's just repackaging mm-hmm. it, pressing more CDs, I guess. Which you know, at at the bulk level of or the whatever for them, it's probably pennies on the dollar. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, for them, it's it's almost a no brainer, especially when you have a big catalog of music. It's just like, well, people tend to like Diana Ross and the Supremes. Let's just throw ten of their songs on something and get more money off of it. Because I think mm-hmm. there is kind of what we were going back to the beginning of what we were talking about, how we were saying people generally will want you know, the greatest hits by somebody versus having to go and buy all 20 of their albums to find the songs they like. Um, I think from the, from the record labels perspective or the distributor, whoever's, whoever's putting these together, there is, um, incentive to kind of put together like greatest hits, for example, because people who may not even try to bother buying any of the other CDs may actually buy that greatest hits album. So you basically, filling in all the gaps of your market, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. It targets, uh, I don't want to say cheaper demographic, but it, it's a way to reach the masses in a ways. Yeah, it's a way to reach people outside of people that are in, that are interested in a certain artist. It's a way to reach people outside of that so that they could be like, oh, Diana Ross, hmm, I never heard of them. Let me buy their greatest hits and see if they're any good. You know, mm-hmm. and you know if if you're walking by the, you know, let's just I keep I guess mentally I keep just thinking of the Walmart five dollar bargain bin, but you know if you're walking by that and you see like summer hit CD or something, you may think be thinking oh I I just need some music for the road for the summer, mm-hmm. you know, and even if you don't necessarily recognize all the artists initially, you're like eh this is probably stuff I like, so there comes it comes down to kind of the, the thematic compilations as well for stuff like that like oh i need i need a quick cd that's gonna you know be songs for the bedroom um i don't necessarily want to you know go and piece together everything from marvin gay and barry white <laughs> myself it, it basically just makes like everyone's lives easier for cases like that mm-hmm. so i guess the last thing i want to touch on with this is a lot of the time compilation albums will give easier access to consumers to the artist's best known, it's almost always the best known songs, whether it's in a collection, multi-artist collection or a box set or a, or a greatest hits, I mean. Um, but so the question, I guess, and we had maybe touched on this a little bit already with the music purity thing, you know, does this simply prolong the exposure of an artist on a shallow level where people are just knowing them for their greatest hits versus their entire catalog? What do you think? I would, I would hope that if they're interested enough in the artist that by being exposed to their greatest hits, it convinces them to kind of explore some other lesser known hits. Maybe it doesn't uh-huh. necessarily convince them to buy all the albums, but it convinces them to look them up on Spotify, you know, and be like, Oh, what other songs have they done? That's a or good point. Actually include them in their, I don't know, in their playlists as yeah. we talked about in the prior episode. Mm-hmm. And actually, a good example I can think of is like uh, the Drifters. I don't really, I don't own any of their specific albums. I own like one greatest hits, which I think I got from the bargain bin at Walmart. Nice. Um, 
but I really like their stuff. And so that's kind of been a jumping off point for me for looking into more of their, of their songs. So it, it could be a, I guess compilation albums could be the gateway drug. <laughs> now, not only a specific artist, but maybe even like a whole genre, maybe. Yeah. Maybe you discover things, you know, that you hadn't heard before and you're like, Oh, I like this type of music. I know I've never listened for example, like someone could say, I've never listened to blues before, but this compilation album has a few blues songs. And I really like it. So mm-hmm. uh, there, there, I think there is some value in that perspective of, you know, potentially giving the consumer, uh, exposing them to more types of music that they may not be familiar with. Yeah. But I guess the the flip side of that is it, <laughs> it, it rather than exposing them to new things, it exposes them to the things that they're familiar with. Which and staying in their comfort zone, which is just like, here's all the the things, the no songs I know from the Temptations. I don't really want to go out of my comfort zone and listen to their less popular stuff. So like, there's there's kind of two yeah, sides to that. exactly. Yeah, it could go one way or the other. There's plenty of artists whose albums I have are just their greatest hits because I only like two songs by them. Yeah, or even one sometimes. But yeah, um, listeners, you can tell us what different types of greatest hits you like on our Facebook page. Yeah. Tell us what funk episodes we should include in our greatest hits. Greatest hits and shits. (laughs) Bloopers and shits. Bloopers and poopers. I'm sorry. Oh God. I forgot about that. What was bloopers and poopers supposed to be? I'm pretty sure it was just like bloopers of us saying stuff that we didn't include in the episodes because it's terrible. Yeah. Spliced in with accidental recordings of bodily functions. God, that's the compilation album that nobody wants, even me. <laughs> we just we just make like no, what we do is we just make one like Wu Tang Clan did with their last album, and then we get some rich asshole to buy it. Wait, what did they do? Wu Tang Clan, their last album that they created, they they had this whole art thing where they're like, We're only gonna make one physical copy and auction that off auction that copy off to charity. And that person can choose to do with it what they want. They can rip it and give it to the world. They can keep it for themselves. And the person that ended up buying it was that pharmaceutical fuck Martin Skrilly, the guy that got shit all over because he jacked up like some drug, like seven hundred percent. Remember, remember that on the news. Yeah, he yeah, and yeah. was the one that bought their album. And so now everyone's like, "Oh fuck, we're basically never gonna hear." this album because this guy's an asshole and isn't, isn't going to release it or anything. So they didn't even release like a digital version. It was just nope. one, literally one version out there. Yep. Or like one copy of it. The whole thing was, yeah, the whole <laughs> thing was like, whoever buys it can choose to do with it what they want. They can oh my God, a digital that's version crazy. or they can keep it all to themselves. But the guy bought it for like a million dollars and they went to charity. I never heard that. How long ago was this? Like six or seven months ago. Oh, wow. Anyway, we got off topic when we were trying to close Sorry. out the episode. That happens. <laughs> uh, I feel like all of Funk Radio should just be an apology to the listeners. Funk Radio is an apology to the world for us existing. <laughs> that was oh, dark. <laughs> well, if you think that's true, you can tell us on Facebook at facebook.com slash getyourfunk. Oh, fuck. In the last episode, I forgot to say... You can also follow us on SoundCloud oh, man. at soundcloud.com slash getyourfunk. Just splice, splice us into that. 
No, it's okay. There's, there's a pretty good chance that people are listening on SoundCloud anyway. So they'll know. True. Anyway, that's it. This has been your gracious host, Kyle. And this has been your... What was the thing you said at the beginning? Ball of vanilla silk or something? Oh, oh, creamy ball of of baby vanilla. (laughs) That's what I am. Bye. (laughs) Bye.